Welcome to Investment Moments with Momentum Investments, where we talk to investment professionals and financial experts about investments and savings. We unpack all things investments to give you better insights for the important discussions with your clients to help them to achieve their goals. I'm Neil Hubert, Communications Manager, and joining me today is Paul Nixon, Head of Behavioral Finance at Momentum Investments. Welcome, Paul. Hi there, Neil. It's great to be here. Thank you. So, Paul, just give us a bit of background about yourself and what you do at Momentum Investments. Yeah, Neil, I think it's uh, the, the best way to describe it is uh, we're really trying to help uh, both advisors and clients make better financial decisions by understanding, you know, clients and advisors and how they make financial decisions a little bit better. You know, how they advise their clients and, and ultimately how clients are going to go out there and enact on that advice. And of course, you know, clients aren't always going to have an advisor with them. You know, when when markets crash, for example, we have that we had that very uncomfortable COVID uh, kind of March 2020 crash, um, you know, kind of there was just a little bit of chaos there as well. So it's all really about sort of helping people to or understanding people, their personalities, um, how, how their brain works, what they want, and using that knowledge to to kind of nudge them to make um, better decisions at better times. Yeah. Can you just tell me a bit more about how our understanding of how the brain works is improving and how that is helping us to see how people are making or how they make financial decisions or decisions in general? That's such a fascinating question, Neil. I think, you know, our understanding of the brain is improving or has improved so much over the last decade. It's it's really incredible. And this has really helped us, you know, understand things like choice, for example. You know, choice requires energy, for you know, for example. So there have been some fascinating experiments as well about how people make choices. You know, and Paul Glimcher from New York University had this fascinating experiment where he asked people to choose their favorite chocolate bar, for example. And, uh, you know, when presented with three chocolate bars, um, I think it was a Snickers, a Milky Way, and, um, you know, one other which I can't remember. But anyway, he, the, the people that he actually used, their favorite chocolate bar was a Snickers. And they actually couldn't manage, um, you know, when they were presented with three choices, they obviously easily identified the Snickers. But when there were 20 chocolate bars, they actually couldn't choose their favorite. So, and the interesting thing about that as well is people were left scratching their heads afterwards because they couldn't articulate why they hadn't managed to find the Snickers bar. And in actual fact, a few of them said they didn't even see it. So our brains need energy to make decisions. Our brain needs energy, glucose for neurons to fire faster and faster. The more kind of the, the, the faster that neurons are firing, the more easy it is to make a decision. So when we're faced with difficult decisions, for example, our brain needs to use more energy. And if we're tired, we really, really struggle. Now, I mean, we're talking here about picking mm. your favorite chocolate bar. You know, what about picking between 1,500 unit trusts? You know, so our understanding of the brain is, is improving. Um, our understanding of what the factors are that play into this um, decision are, are improving. And yeah, it's a, I mean, there've been just maybe a quick a quick addition there. There's been a really fascinating study last year where, um, you know, sort of a paper showed 100 genetic variants in how people make, um, you know, in risk-taking behavior or risky decision-making. So, you know, it, it could be the next kind of risk profile question. It could be a finger prick blood test, for example. Um, you know, so there's really, it's a really a fascinating time as sort of as technology gets cheaper and cheaper as well. And kind of doing genetic sequencing, for example, is just too expensive now. But as it gets cheaper and cheaper, who knows how quickly the field of finance, for example, will adopt that technology. I want to go first back to the choice paralysis. I mean, is that a bias? 
Yeah, I, I don't think it's a bias, Neil. I think it's just a, it's just understanding kind of when, you know, how people make decisions at different points in time. So people's decisions could be very different depending on, you know, whether they've just had a meal, for example. So if you think of kind of what your, what your engine kind of requires, how your brain gets energy, how your brain gets that glucose, it gets that glucose obviously from meals, right? So if you, um, you know, if you haven't had a meal for the whole day and you, and you're about to make a very tough financial decision, it might be a little bit wonky. Um, that's really the point there, right? So, you know, there's biases and stuff and there's the, the psychology makeup of processing of information is absolutely a part you know but there's also a neurobiology part of that as well you know there's so there's different aspects and angles to and, and it, what is essentially quite a complex um, interplay in terms of how people make um, decisions okay so it's actually it's basically how your brain works affects your decision making um, that's fascinating and then also obviously your personality comes into play yes i think neil there's there three key parts here if, if we have to try and Sort of build a model of how people make financial decisions. There's probably three key things that are that are going to play a big role. So, the first is neurobiology, right? So your brain is going to be releasing chemicals, and those chemicals are going to make you feel a certain way, right? You know, so and we can go into detail in, into these three pillars, but I think so. The main one is let's just look at the, the kind of three big um, areas here. One is neurobiology, that's the chemicals. The second one is your personality. Um, and then the third one is your environment. So those three things, if we if we kind of unpack them a little bit more, will help us to explain how people make financial decisions. Okay, so personality, um, how does it that affect um, how you make decisions? I know you've spoken previously about the five main sort of personality traits. If you can maybe delve a bit into that. Sure. So, I mean, the, the the very interesting part of this is that you know the, the jury is um, has come back, and it's it's you know in the, in the big debate that's always been nature versus nurture. Um, the answer is very clearly nature. So so your personality is inherited, um, and the way you kind of your personality traits are inherited from your parents. So kind of the um, if we kind of look at the five big personality traits, we can very easily relate those to to financial behaviors as well. And in fact, there have been many many papers that have done that already. So your personality traits will have a very big impact on on your view of risk, for example, your view of saving, for example. So if we look at things like extroversion, right? So extroverts, people who are the life of the party, um, these people, generally speaking, are very open to taking risk. You know, there's another trait called openness, for example, openness to experience. So these are the people that like to skydive and bungee jump and do all these really, really cool things. They want to experience life and, and they view life as an experience and they want to experience now. But because they want to experience now, they have a very short financial time horizon. So they're not too interested in saving for retirement. They'd rather use their money now, right? So that definitely has an impact in terms of savings behavior. You know, there's another personality trait is neuroticism, for example. So that's where the anxious people are. You know, and we've, we've seen that last year during the COVID crash when markets took a bit of a wobble. It was a phenomenal amount of money. One and a half billion rand switched during that kind of time where the market collapsed and uh, people lost a lot of money. Um, and then if we look at one or two of the other personality traits, the, the best one is obviously conscientiousness. So people who generally speaking, you know, sort of run around and put their stuff away and they like order and um, have a longer term financial time horizon. So they're very, very open to saving, for example. They're happy to, to kind of delay you know, spending now and, and save for later kind of thing. So there's a very, very strong relationship between our personality and between our financial behavior. And and to the extent that actually this has been been almost called human capital. So possessing positive traits, for example, like conscientiousness, 
is something that is very highly desired. And there have been studies that have shown that people with those traits earn more money, they have better, uh, more successful relationships, for example. So they actually have a positive or more positive experience in life. Um, so that's a very interesting thing because obviously, you know, if you can identify these, these traits in your kids, for example, you know, there is cognitive behavioral therapy that can try and develop or try and suppress certain kind of des less desirable and kind of more desirable personality traits as well. So, yeah, but that has an impact on our financial decisions, obviously. Yeah, so how do we make this practical? I mean, how do we, as Momentum Investments, use this knowledge that we know about people's personality and mm. how the brain works? How do we make this practical and how yeah. do we help people make better financial decisions? Yeah. So that's a great question, Neil. I think the first element we spoke of was obviously the, the chemical side, the neurobiology side. Now, obviously, we don't, you know, we don't have a um, an fMRI machine where we can sort of analyze people to, people's decisions and have a look at when dopamine's released and when oxytocin is released and you know all these kind of things. So, so we don't have that. Um, uh, we, but what we do have is is evidence of people's financial behavior because we have an investment platform, right? So we have momentum wealth. So what we can do is we can analyze using machine learning techniques where we analyze the behavior of people over a long period of time and we can almost look at the results of these three factors that we mentioned earlier. So we can have a look at the results um, because people's financial decisions in terms of making switches, the end result sits on the platform, right? So, so all the stuff is happening in the background that we can use to help explain the result. But once we've got the result, we can already identify patterns of behavior. And that's exactly what we've done. So we analyzed um, investment behavior of um, over 50,000 clients from 2006 until 2020. And we saw five very, very clear behavior patterns on the platform. So, so we can see, and once we have, um, once we've linked these behavior patterns to the personality traits that I've just mentioned now, which is, which is obviously an actual project in progress, we can then predict, you know, just by getting a kind of an idea of what the personality traits that someone has, we can predict their financial behavior. So that's really where we're going, um, you know, from a, a momentum investments point of view is, is predicting the future. Because if we can predict the future and what people are likely to do at different times in market cycles, we can then intervene and tell them, you know, listen, yeah, kind of, we know that the markets have crashed, COVID, it's a global pandemic. Don't worry. We know you want to move your money, but don't move your money because you know what, we've seen this all before. Yeah, so we understand the clients better and we can actually nudge them and the clients and their advisors to make better decisions for better outcomes at the end of the day. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, the idea is to surface information um, to people when they need to see it most. And that is absolutely applicable to the advisor as well, because sometimes, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the advisor is the solution, but sometimes the advisor, I mean, the advisor is also human, right? So if the advisor panics, the advisor could also elicit the incorrect behavior. But but that really gives a, a very, very big opportunity as well for advisors to add a lot of, you know, what we what we call advice alpha, I guess, hey, which is which is intervening at the right time. And we give them the right tools to diagnose their clients at those times. To then say to the client, look, you know, this is what you're probably thinking of doing, but, you know, you definitely shouldn't do it. And that really is kind of what we're trying to do. It's a, definitely a big partnership between you know, advisors who are human, clients who are human. But we've obviously got the processing power, um, you know, the manpower, the kind of money to throw behind these kind of joining these psychological factors to, um, you know, to financial decision making to help advisors also advise their clients as well. Yes. Um, yeah, we all, always say investing with us, investing is personal. And I mean, this is precisely that. It's making things very personal. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly the point. So, 
you know, if we look at nudging as well as a, you know, as a discipline. So, so nudging is obviously helping people to make decisions which are in their best interests or to avoid decisions that aren't in their best interests, right? And I mean, nudging is becoming personal. I mean, there was a, actually a fascinating article published a couple of, actually a couple of months ago on, um, by the, I think it was the Harvard Business Review on exactly this, right? So it's, nudging is going to become more and more personal because we know that nudging can't be applied to the average, right? Because if you want people to save more or spend more, for example, you know, kind of, you can't just, everyone doesn't need to do that, right? There are pockets of people that need to do that. So you need to really, really make nudges personal. And in order to, to make nudges personal, you need to understand, you know, the psychological dimensions behind that person so that, that you can apply the right nudges to, to help them or help people make the right decisions. Fascinating stuff, Paul, and thanks for joining me. It's a big pleasure, Neil, and look forward to chatting again. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.